If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Judges in the Old Testament. Uh, this is uh, one of the things that um, we're going to read through. We've studied through um, years ago. We started through Genesis, and then we did a uh, summer in the uh, book of Joshua today. Starting today, we're going to kind of be working through the book of Judges for the next few weeks and then take a break. We'll come back to it and finish it this year. Um, so if you have a Bible, Judges chapter 1, if you need a Bible, these guys would be glad to hand you one. Um, one thing I do want to mention um, next week as we get settled here and ready to jump into God's Word is our anniversary Sunday, and we're going to have breakfast here together. Uh, it will not be peanut butter and jelly, I promise you. Uh, every year it's become our habit to do biscuits and um, kind of a sausage and meats and all kinds of stuff, good stuff. So come, come hungry. I'll bring some friends and neighbors and family with you. We would love to celebrate this together. Uh, it'll be, it'll look a lot like a normal Sunday, except we'll eat together sort of in the um, before, after, and maybe during. Uh, at the end, it will look like a bomb of biscuits went off in here, which is kind of a beautiful thing, right? So uh, come join us next Sunday uh, for anniversary Sunday. Um, when I left home for college years and years and years ago, honestly, I, wanna, I just want to be very candid and um, disclose something to you. When I left for college, I did not know how to do laundry. Anybody else have that problem when they kind of got out on their own for the first time? Okay, just you and me, Jesse. Apparently, we're the only honest people in here, right? Um, I did not know how to do I thought the chest of drawers in my bedroom was sort of magical. You know, like I would wear clothes, I would leave them on the floor, and then eventually they would just magically appear back in, you know, back in my closet or in my chest of drawers. And um, I didn't realize till later that was my mother actually doing that. Um, but the truth is, I had never done any laundry, so I had to learn to separate lights from darks. I, uh, I had to figure out what, what could be dried and what could not be dried. Um, and, and what I found as I kind of was exposed to this idea of laundry is that it is a never-ending process. Can anybody agree with that? Do I get an amen? <laughs> All right, a lot of amens on that one. You wear clothes, then you wash your clothes, you put away your clothes, and that cycle then goes back to the beginning where you wear them, right? Over and over and over, we see sort of this cycle. And I think this cycle of laundry and life kind of uh, is a little bit like how our lives are framed, right? By this cycle of dirty clothes, doing the wash, clean clothes, and repeat. Wash, wear, repeat. And if your house is like ours, there's almost never a time when the washer or dryer isn't going, right? Especially uh, with our girls when they're at home, we all live this cycle, right? There is this life cycle that is kind of defined by our washing of clothes. We wash them, we wear them, we repeat. Today we're starting this series through the Old Testament book of Judges. Now Judges fills the gap between in Israel's history between Joshua and the promised land. You remember those great stories of uh, Joshua bringing the Israelites over the Jordan River into the land of Canaan that God had promised to his ancestors, Moses and Abraham, all the way back to Abraham, um, Jericho, cities like Jericho, and all these beautiful and wonderful, miraculous things that God did. And, and so Judges sort of fills the gap between jo uh, Joshua and then the kings that come later, kings like Saul and David. And God had promised Abraham and Moses, that he would give Israel this beautiful land, this land that flows with milk and honey, the Bible says, and that the Israelites would drive out the pagan nations that were currently inhabiting Canaan, and God would give that land to Israel. 
So by the time Joshua dies, a lot of that conquering had been, had been completed, but not all of it. And without Joshua's leadership, as we'll see here in the first part of Judges, Israel struggled to stay faithful to God. In Canaan, in this promised land, Israel quickly forgot the acts of God, like these beautiful things that God had done that made Israel what it was and had established Israel in the promised land. And instead of leaning into God and his spirit and God's leadership, Israel settled down and attached itself to Canaan's people, to Canaan's morals, to their gods, and to their religious beliefs. Judges chapter 21, the very last verse. We're going to go to the very end, and then we're going to come back and start the beginning. The very last book, uh, verse of the book of Judges characterizes the way Israel was living during this time between uh, Joshua and then the kings. Judges 21, 25 says, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So instead of trusting God to be their king, the people of Israel did what they thought was right, and God turned them over to their enemies. Now, I think I would be remiss if I didn't just point out that this sounds a lot like a culture and a country and a time that we live in, doesn't it? Does it, does it sound familiar to you? Everyone did as they saw fit. A study by the Barna Research Group in 2022, a couple years ago, indicates that less than half, 49% of adults who say that they support traditional moral values, less than half of those people who, who say that actually embrace biblical morality. Like we used to be known uh, to live uh, on a Judeo-Christian right, values and ethics in our country and in our lives and in our culture. But now... Those who say they support traditional moral values, less than half of those think that it's biblical morality. Instead, 42 suggest, of that group, 42% suggested that what you feel in your heart is the best guide, compared to a much lower number who say that we should base our majority our morality on majority rule, or 29% also believe that maybe we should base our morality on the Bible. So if you think about it, if you take those two categories, those two places, 42% and 29%, what you feel in your heart and majority, then 71%, more than 7 out of 10 adults, now contend that human beings, rather than God, should be the judge of right and wrong. Everyone did as they saw fit. The people did their own thing. So in Judges chapter 2, verse 16, it says, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. So here's the cycle we see time and time again throughout this study. It's a lot like the wash cycle, right? Wash, wear, repeat. Israel, here's their cycle, goes its own way. God turns them over to their enemies. Israel repents, and God raises up a judge to bring them back to himself. I'll call this the redemption cycle. Time and time again, Israel goes through this cycle of falling away and then being brought back to redemption. And in every case, uh, there's a judge that God raises up to help with this. So over the next few weeks, we're going to meet and learn about the lives of these judges in Israel. Some of these names you might remember, names like Samson, Deborah, Gideon, and some maybe you don't remember, like Ehud and Athenel. So before we jump into some of these character studies, 
I want us to kind of take a broad stroke and look at this entire book, right? Let me just give you kind of an overview and some, uh, just some important lessons that I think we need to keep in mind from the book of Judges. Throughout this study, these themes, right, these lessons will continually come up. The book of Judges in chapter 1 begins by looking backward. Let me read and we'll kind of work through a little bit of chapter 1 this morning. Judges 1.1 says, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who is to go up first to fight the Canaanites? So Joshua was Moses' successor, right? Moses was the one who brought Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And God promised uh, this, they were, they were to go to this promised land. But before they could get there, there was enough sin, even in Moses and his brother Aaron, that that generation was not allowed to cross over into the promised land. So when Moses died, the mantle of leadership was given then to Joshua. Matter of fact, Joshua and a guy named Caleb were the only two who escaped God's judgment of death. They were the only ones of that generation who saw both Egypt and the promised land. So as we study through the book of Judges, one of the things that I think is important, keeping all of these themes in mind, first is this, God is faithful. God is faithful. You're going to see that theme throughout the book of Judges. Joshua dies here at the very beginning of this uh, book of Judges, and the people of Israel ask, who of us is going to go up first to fight the Canaanites? See, God had been leading Joshua, and Joshua had been leading Israel, but now there was a void of leadership. So the people ask a natural question, who's going to lead us? Look at verse 2. The Lord answered, Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. So Judah is another tribe or one of the tribes of Israel. So Judah should go up. The men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, another tribe, the Simeonites, uh, come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight the Canaanites. We in turn will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 at Bezek. So we see here that Israel's connection to God is not lost because Joshua has died. God still gives direction, and his presence is still with Israel. Right? Israel was used to having a guy. They were used to Moses leading them, right? They were used to Joshua leading them. They had this kind of connection with God, and then they would give God's direction to Israel. Well, they don't, didn't have a guy, but God did not forsake them. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like when the text says God answered, right? But it literally says uh, they asked, the people asked, and then the Lord answered, Judah shall go up. But here's what I think is important. God had promised Abraham, God had promised Moses, God had promised Joshua, and God is going to keep his promises. Whatever it looks like, God is faithful. The book of Joshua records the beginning of this process. Remember, again, 
crossed the Jordan into, took Jericho and then the following cities. And what God was doing was driving out those pagan uh, nations and those pagan people and those idolatrous people. And he was uh, giving this land to his chosen people, Israel, and they were taking the land and they were divvying up between tribes. And for the most part, the people obediently trust God throughout the book of Joshua. And God grants them victory after victory after victory. But as Joshua nears the end of his days, there's, there's still much to be done. The land lies open to Israel, but they still need to settle it, trusting God to push out the current inhabitants. Remember the promise? You, are, you will take possession of this land as the Lord God has promised you. And just because Joshua has passed, that didn't mean God's faithfulness had also passed. He's just a guy. Now, this is an important principle I want us to get also in this. God's promises are not dependent on us. They're dependent on God. So when God says this will happen, he will be faithful. Sometimes it feels like in our lives maybe God isn't listening or God isn't interested or maybe he doesn't keep his promises. But let me just assure you that's not true. God is always faithful. Judges, the book of Judges, is a perfect example. Even though Israel turns from God over and over, even though they get kind of caught in this sin and repentance and being brought back, this redemption cycle, God is faithful. He keeps his promises. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When I was in college, let me go back to the laundry example. I liked the convenience of doing my laundry in the dorm. There was a washer and dryer on our floor. And it was convenient. I could walk down the hall. I could throw some stuff in there. As long as I had some quarters, right, I could do my laundry and go back and forth to my room, study, or go to the, you know, to the library, do whatever I need to do. But there's a little bit of a catch to that. There's 40 guys living on my floor using the same washer and dryer. You could always count on this. Some would, would take your stuff. If you left it for five seconds, somebody would take your stuff out of the washer. If they're nice, they would put it on top. If they're not nice, they'd throw it in the floor right? And they would start to use the washer and dryer to do their own laundry. No matter what you did, you'd end up with your laundry not in the washer or the dryer, and it was a vicious cycle. So Israel falls into this sort of cycle in the book of Judges. Israel goes its own way. God turns them over to their enemies. Israel repents, and then God raises up a judge to bring them back to himself. And even though they're caught in this cycle of sin and repentance, guess who never changes? God. God is faithful. <clears throat> throughout all of this, God is faithful. Remember that lesson throughout the study. The second lesson I think we will continually see in Judges is this. Not only is God faithful, but God is holy. Chapter 2 is a second introduction to the book of Judges. And not only that, it, it's actually a summary of the whole book. If you want to kind of get a um, cliff notes of what Judges is about, read chapter 2 into uh, chapter 3 and verse 6. The beginning of chapter 2 describes Joshua 
a life well lived. And he was truly a servant of the Lord. But eventually, after Joshua's death, another generation rises up. Let's look at this in Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, N-U-N, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Harris in the country, hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And after the whole, that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew, who knew neither the Lord nor what, the, what he had done for Israel. Then, Israel. then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord and the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and Asherahs. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around them whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them, and they were in great distress. It wasn't that they actually didn't know about the Red Sea, right, and the Exodus, or crossing the Jordan and the walls of Jericho. It wasn't that they forgot about those things. It's just that they hadn't learned to revere and rejoice in what God had done. It wasn't quite as important to them because that was their parents' generation and their grandparents' generation. And so they lost themselves. They had forgotten, right, to revere and rejoice in the mighty works of God. So the Bible says they did evil in the sight of God. Notice how quickly it happened. The parents, though flawed and sometimes half-hearted, they did have faith and they served the Lord. Their children, though, did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the pagan gods. So God reveals his holiness. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God's judgment. We see God's righteous anger. He allowed them to go where they wanted to go and they were defeated by their enemies. Sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we start to believe the critics of our faith and think that maybe God is just mean, like an old grumpy grandfather, ready to strike people, right, and throw lightning bolts down upon people. But that's, it's not that God is mean, it's that God simply is holy. And because God is holy, there must be punishment for evil. God is, he is the opposite of evil. He is perfect and flawless in every way and without fault. So God is holy, and because of his holiness, there must be punishment for evil. We would call this, connected to God's um, holiness, we would call, we would talk about this in terms of justice. Right? When Israel does evil, God lets them go that direction. He allows them to feel the discipline that comes because of his justice. We understand this. The Hebrew writer talks about this. It says they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. 
in order that we may share in his holiness. This is true. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in it. So I want you to get this, right? God is holy, but that doesn't mean he is mean. It just means he is holy. God, like a good father, disciplines us as his children. Also notice that God's idea of leadership are judges, not kings. And I think that's rooted in who God is. He is holy. Look at verse 16, Judges chapter 2. It says, after this cycle, right, God raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. God didn't raise up kings. Kings were not God's idea, were they? That was man's idea. God raises up judges to lead Israel. Later, the people of Israel want kings, but God's idea for leadership is judges. So judges are men and women who God called to oversee justice in Israel. Why? Because God is holy. His nature demands justice. God's sense of justice is rooted in him being holy. There is a fairness to justice, isn't there? We all want to be treated fairly. We all want a justice system so that when we feel wrong, someone will make it right. We understand the rules of the justice system. We don't always follow them, but we understand the rules. Back to my college laundry. I remember I figured out that I didn't have to do all my laundry in the dorm with with a washer and dryer for all these guys. I could take my laundry. It was a little more work, and I could go to a local laundromat, and I could do all of my laundry in, uh, you know, like in 10 washers and then 10 dryers, I could do it all kind of at the same time. It wasn't 10, I don't think. I did save my laundry up for a long time, though, I will say that. <laughs> what would take all day in the dorm and maybe longer, depending on if somebody took my stuff, I could do it a couple hours at the laundromat. So one time I'm on my way to the laundromat and I had a handful of quarters. I don't know why I was holding them in my hand, but I'm driving, I'm a little distracted, I'm going too fast, and guess what? I get a ticket. Elizabeth City's finest. ECPD stopped me. And I got a ticket. I deserved it. I was distracted. I was going too fast. I was going, I don't know, 45, 35, and a 25. We understand the rules, don't we? Right? We may not like it when we break the rules, but we get punishment. I had to pay the fine. It was a lot more than the $20 worth of quarters I had in my hand. I had to pay later. See, God is completely holy, therefore he is completely, he has to be fair. This idea of justice says, the rule is, if you break the law, you incur the penalty. So God puts into place judges in Israel to lead the people. These were to be fair-minded people who would be representatives of God's justice and God's holiness. And because of that, Israel accepted these judges, and when they did, God's favor was with them. Until the people rebelled again, then God would allow them to be defeated, and they would repent, and God would give them another judge back to the redemption cycle. And that brings us to one final theme that we'll see in the book of Judges. God is gracious. Back to Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Chapter 2 reveals maybe a tension that you have picked up on as we've talked about God's faithfulness on the one hand and God's holiness on the other. 
It says in verse 1, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I've also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Boykin. They offered sacrifices to the Lord. Did, did you catch the two I said statements, verses 1 and verse 3? I said, I will never break my covenant, right? And I also said, if you compromise with these nations, I will not drive them out. It's as though the Lord's saying, I have sworn to give you this whole land, yet I have also sworn not to give it to a disobedient people. This is how we should understand the end of verse 2, when it says, why have you done this? God is saying to his people, you've put me in an impossible situation. I've sworn to bless you as my beloved people, and I've sworn not to bless you as a disobedient people. And they did both. How am I to solve this dilemma. On the one hand, God is holy, full of justice, and he cannot tolerate or live with or bless evil. That's who God is. On the other hand, God is loving and faithful and cannot tolerate the loss of people he has committed to himself. He is true to his word. And there is this tension then that will keep us in suspense literally through the whole book of Judges. Will God give up on his people? But then what of his faithfulness? Will, will, will he finally give in to his people, let them go and bless them where they are? Well, what about his holiness? How can God be completely holy and just and also faithful? When the people do evil, shouldn't God's justice Rooted in his holiness, demand a penalty. We understand justice, don't we? If you break the law, you incur the penalty. See, here's the beauty of the book of Judges, and maybe even the Old Testament by and large. It's only at the cross that God is able to resolve that tension. Tim Keller said, on the cross, our sin was given, was imputed to Jesus so that his righteousness could be given or imputed to us. On the cross, Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, God poured out his wrath for all of our sins, not on us, but on Jesus. He satisfied both his justice because sin was punished and his loving faithfulness because now he can forgive us. He can be true to his word. God did this, Romans chapter 3, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That, that's the power of the gospel. Jesus, who had no sin, incurred the penalty while we who do sin can now escape the penalty, but only through Jesus. You know what? 
that's really not fair, is it? We want justice. We want to be treated fairly, right? But that's not fair. I would say that's more than fair. That's grace. The best way I found to do my laundry when I was in college was pretty simple. Go home. It was a five-hour trip from where I went to college back home. But you know what happened when I went home? My mom would help me. Truthfully, my mom would do my laundry. And you know what that cost me? Nothing. And you know what else? You know what else? It didn't even cost me the gas money because my dad would always slip me a 20 or a 30, 50. What did I do to deserve that? Nothing. My mom, my dad, they just loved me. All I had to do was return home. See, the God we read about in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, is the same God we know today. So when we see the holiness of God in this study, it should remind us not just of God's justice and maybe his anger. It's not that God is mean. He's just holy. It should remind us of his grace. Here's the truth. It's not just Israel who gets caught up in this sin cycle. We do the same thing. And God is still faithful. We can be freed from the penalty, but only if we accept God's gift of grace. And that gift, in a word, is Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We're so thankful for this book of Judges and so many um, characters that we're going to meet, so many stories, and um, just, Lord, we're just thankful that you have preserved this for us. But God, as we read through some of the Old Testament together, and we see just so many different themes, Lord, I, I pray that you will help us to remember this, that you are a God who is faithful. You do what you say you're going to do. And you are a God that is holy, rooted in justice and fairness. And Lord, you are a God who is gracious. Lord, you loved us enough that you sent Jesus, that we don't get what we deserve. We get more from you than we deserve. We get grace. And it's all because of your son, Jesus. Lord, these stories are thousands of years old. But the truths rooted in these stories are just as fresh as they were thousands of years ago to us. They're brand new for us. So I just pray, Lord, you help us to lean in, to understand who you are, and to take you at your word. Lord, we're thankful. I just pray that you would move in this time over the series and as we look at these people, and you would just remind us of your faithfulness, of your holiness and of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name.